Tell me if this is true. This is a story I've heard for years that Ted Turner was so impressed with your coaching uh, skills that he came to you and asked you if you wanted to be the manager of the of the Atlanta Braves baseball team too. Is that a true story? A guy by the name of Bob Hope was the PR guy for Turner Enterprises. Mm -hmm. Five years later, he writes a book because he leaves Turner to form his own company. He's, he's still in PR in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he does the whole story. We're playing Philadelphia on Friday night, the Lakers on Saturday night. Now we hear the kids, because every time the ball went out of bounds, or it's help me God, they'd play Rocky on the, uh, on the uh, PA system. I mean, it was hysterical, right? We're pressing, trapping, dive. We, we pressed 48 minutes. We never took the trap off. To tell you how bad we were before the season, the eighth exhibition game was in Louisville. We played Chicago. Artis was playing for Chicago then. So they decided to do an Atlantic. So Jack McMahon is scouting for Philadelphia. Jack is at the game, and he's very good friends with Frank Layton. Now, during the exhibitions, we never showed any pressing, trapping, nothing, double teaming, nothing. Just play. We're 0-7. Well, we win that night. So Jack McMahon comes by the locker room to see Frank. And he says, listen, I, 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 I don't want to upset you guys. But your team is the worst team <laughs> that I have ever seen in 35 years of being associated with the NBA. Now, nobody knows that we're going to press and trap, okay? And we're going to do all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. We get out of the box, we're seven and one. We're playing, we beat Houston and Houston, and they had Rick Barry and mm -hmm. Calvin Murphy mm -hmm. and all those guys, and Moses. Mm -hmm. We come back and we play Portland. It's 1977. We're playing Portland here. We do not know that they're going to win the championship. Thursday night, we fly in, we play Friday night at home, sellout crowd, because right, it's Bill Walton and Maurice Lucas, et cetera, et cetera. They beat us 130 to like 80. Ooh. Okay? I, I'll never forget this. Because nobody else was prepared for all this. Spread. But Dr. Jack Ramsey was prepared, George, mm -hmm. like you would expect him mm -hmm. to be, okay? And they just ran through us like we weren't even there, all right? Wow. We get up the next morning. We fly all the way back to San Antonio. Commercial now. We beat San Antonio, San Antonio. It was so wild. It was crazy, all right? And we had so much fun. Um, but what we learned there was that we were going to be good and exciting, but you still got to have better talent. And then as we kept going, we kept repairing. We got Jack Gibbons from Kentucky, mm -hmm. and then the key was Danny Roundfield was playing with Indiana Pacers, and I knew how good Roundfield was, even though he was a backup. We got him with his contract. He came in, and he solidified our front line. I mean, he made it a great front line. And then Eddie Johnson... John Drew and Danny Roundfield played in three straight All-Star games. It was a fun time. Uh, but, oh, I'm sorry. No, so, I, no, so getting out to the yeah, baseball. Yeah, here's what happened. Yeah, here's what happened. <clears throat> Sell-out crowd. 
It's uh, February. Sellout crowd for Philadelphia. So I come into the game, and he's sitting in my in my chair, in my office, that turn. So he goes, uh, listen, uh, I want to talk to you uh, about a very touchy subject. He said, we have a number of guys coming through here this past week about being a new manager. And he said, I don't like what I'm seeing so much. So he said, um, would you consider being manager of the baseball team? <laughs> I said, Ted, I, I, I can't manage a baseball team. I said, I just played college baseball in the service I played, you know. I mean, I caught three guys who pitched in the major leagues when I was in the service. Yeah, we had a great baseball team. So I said, but, I said, hey, I, no, I said, how could you even think of something like that? I said, we're still playing the season. He goes, no, he said, uh, Phil Negro will coach the team in spring training and so forth. And then when the season ends, because the season ended earlier then, he said, then you would come because you're not going to make the playoffs. So, but we are going to make the yeah, playoffs. Yeah. So he says, and, and then you can go. I said, no. I said, please, we're playing the Celtics. I mean, uh, the Lakers, or Philadelphia tonight, and the Lakers tonight. I can't be thinking about this kind of stuff. So he leaves. So we, we, beat, we beat the Sixers. We go to dinner. Frank Layden, Mike Fratello, and I. I say to them, both of them being baseball guys, mm -hmm. first, I go, let me tell you what happened before the game. Right away, Frank Layden goes, well, why didn't you take it? <laughs> he goes, our fathers would be so happy. He said, I'll coach third base and Mike can coach first and you can be the manager. He <laughs> said, it'd be terrific. <laughs> now, we're, we're to our, with our wives. No, we're all laughing, okay? I mean, this is how silly this is. Yeah, yeah. The next night, he's in the chair again. And he says, look, here, here's what we're going to do. You're going to be the manager of this baseball team. <laughs> and he says, Phil Negro's going to take the team again. I go, wait, now hold on. Just, I, the seasons overlap. I, he goes, no, here's what we're going to do. Your family can come on the trips because we use private planes. So he says they can come on any trips in that during the summer when they're not in school and everything, and it's going to be great. I'm looking at him. I said, now listen. I said, uh, well, what about money? <laughs> now this is money. What, what do you mean? I said, well, what kind of a salary would you pay me? He said, salary? You're going to be in the Hall of Fame. You're going to be in the baseball, basketball Hall of Fame. He said, I'm not going to pay you any more money. You're going to do the same amount of money that you're getting with the Hawks. I said, hold on. I said, I, we, we can't talk anymore. I, you expect me to coach two seasons and... Just only he says that's exactly right. So far, the time we win the game. He comes in after the game. He says, "Listen, this group is forcing me to hire this guy, 
I want you to interview this guy. I can't give you the name, okay? Mm -hmm. I said, oh, Christ. I said, when? He says, tomorrow morning at my house. He said, at 11 o'clock. He's got a 2 o'clock flight or 3 o'clock flight. I said, Ted, I, you're embarrassing me now. This guy is a major league guy, a player. I mean, what am I going to talk to him about? So he said, no, I'm with you. So what happens? I get home. I call this guy that I caught that became, was an all-star uh reliever and then also became one of the top pitching coaches in baseball and was with Oakland when they won the championships, the three championships. I call him. He's living in Seattle. I said, listen, you, I, I, I don't want to be embarrassed. He said, I got my pad. I said, could you please, because there's a three hour time limit. I said, could you please tell me what you would ask this guy so that I don't embarrass myself? So he, at this time, was also running for a major league team, all of their minor league stuff. So he goes, you got a pencil? So he, right down the line, all these questions, right? I drive him right along down. I said, thank you. Next day, I go in, I go, George, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, here I am, interviewing this guy, okay? And... Ted Turner is lying on the couch over there. He's lying like this. I am sitting here, and the guy is sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I'm having the nerve to talk to him about being a baseball manager, okay? I was so embarrassed. But I'm asking him all these questions. Well, it was interesting how he wasn't grounded enough on a lot of these things. And more important, didn't have a philosophy. And it was very noticeable. Okay. So we end, but bap, Turner drives the guy to the airport. The guy leaves, I go home. The next morning, at quarter to seven in the morning, the phone rings. Clear, clear sleep, I gotta reach over here. You mean it's Ted. Yeah. I think you should be the manager. He says, that was the best interview. He said, that was really terrific. I said, no, listen, all those questions came from a friend of mine. I said that I called up. He says, I don't care. He said, all those questions were so good. I said, bah, bah, bah. I swear to Christ. Thank God it never happened, okay? But this guy, Bob Hope, writes a book about TBS, TNT, the fact people don't even remember this, we played five games, Hawk games, up in Charlotte because Ted Turner bought a bankrupt station there for 800000 and he thought we were going to move. So we played five games in Charlotte in the old place that's mm -hmm. like 11000 mm -hmm. sold out all because they were all big games. Mm -hmm. And people came. Well, at the end of the year, he, he couldn't do it because we were playing so well and we were really rolling. So what he did, he sold that television station to GE for $23 million, bought it for $800,000. Mm. And if you go through his life, you'll see that's what he did with all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And Bob Hope had all of these stories and all of these kind of things. And 
and I'll be damned that baseball story. You go from the Atlanta Hawks now to the New York Knicks, and supposedly there was there there was one of the first. Uh, uh, strange deals ever took place in the history of the NBA for one coach transferring for, to uh, from one franchise to another. What was the big the big to do with this deal to get you to become the next coach and and follow Red Holzman? Well, I I, I don't know anything about that uh, because supposedly anybody, there was some kind of trade that had to oh, take no, place. No, or no, something? no, I was out. I was out a year. Oh, okay. I was out a year. Um, uh, in I, the year of 82, I did national television for USA Network. Mm -hmm. They did the double headers on Thursday nights. And I did the first game with Al Albert, and the second game was Eddie Doucette and Steve Jones. People forget this. Now Turner does the double headers on Thursday night, but USA was doing that back then. And then they did baseball in the summer. And then they did college football. USA was really a big sports network at one time. Well, I did that whole season for USA. And then in the playoffs, CBS asked me to do CBS. So I did that. But what happened is Frank McGuire, Bobby Kremens went to Frank McGuire. Frank McGuire was a confident for Sonny Werblin at Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. And Frank McGuire got me the job and the interview with Sonny Werblin. And I went up there and I met Sonny Werblin in a wall of Astoria and we had a meeting and he offered me the job and it wasn't an interview because he was, he was gonna uh, uh, hire me. And then we went to dinner with Howard Grissell and his wife, Sonny and his wife and myself down the village at an Italian restaurant. Now, I don't know about any of the other stuff, but I was out of basketball for a year. Okay. Yeah, I was out for a year. Good, that clears that up. And so so you started in started in with, with the Knicks and and uh and then you, you, you got the, got them turned around and, and then you hit a little bump in the road and you moved on from the Knicks to the to the Memphis Grizzlies. But talk a little bit about about your experiences with the Knicks. Uh, you. Well, the very first year with the Knicks, I changed it, uh, eight guys. We only kept four guys. And they won 33 games the year before. <clears throat> we start the exhibition season and we're having problems because the guys that were back from that team the year before were not going to be able to get it done. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Dave DeBusher came to me and said, at the end of the eight exhibition games, we were like two and six. He said, we have a chance. I just got a call from Al Adels to do Bernard King for Sugar Ray Richardson. I said, do that. This was Monday. Now, this is going to be the thing which changes the whole year. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> My assistants, I bring Mike Fratello from Atlanta and Richie out of bottom. Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> We say, we'll do it. Now, you remember now, before that, there was a lot of problems out in Golden State, Utah, mm -hmm. uh, with Mark. Okay. But we knew there were going to be problems with Sugar Riches. So we don't do the deal because then management decides not to do the deal Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, they come in again. And I say to the busher, I say, 
do the deal because he could really score for us. Well, they do the deal on Wednesday. Bernard takes a red eye from San Francisco in, practices Thursday, we open up the season Friday. But also on Thursday, we sign Ernie Grunfeld mm-hmm. as a free agent. Mm. So now we have eight new guys. Yeah. People forget this. Not only did we make the playoffs, we were in a second round of the playoffs. Because Bernard King was so incredible. Right? Bernard and Ernie at the small forward, Billy Cartwright at the center position, Marvin Webster, and then we had Truck Robinson and then uh, Sly Williams. And then uh, the backcourt, Paul Westfall, finally got over a bad die. And then he played for us a half a season in the playoffs. And we had Paul and uh, uh, a kid from BCU in the backcourt. But anyway, the thing was, is that we beat New Jersey in the first round. And then we lost to the Philadelphia 76ers, 4-0, with Moses Malone. Dr. J and company when they went full, full, full. Yeah. Right? That great team. All the games were close. And it was a lot of fun. The next year, we win the first round five games against uh, Detroit. And we go seven games with Boston. All right? And they beat us in game seven. They say, why are you saying that? Because in 83, Philadelphia won the championship. In 84, Boston wins the championship. Over the summer. Marvin Webster has a breakdown, mental break, never plays again. Mm-hmm. Truck Robinson breaks an ankle, never plays again. Bill Cartwright gets the first of four stress fractures in the summer for operations. We lose three of our best four guys up front, and we struggle the next couple of years. And it was shit, a sad because we really had a great team. Bernard led the league in scoring. Bernard was an all-star, all-league player, and it, and it was just a good time to be in New York. But here is the epitome of New York. No other building in the country do you get this. None. In 83, the first two games in Philadelphia, they beat us in two close games. Game three is at 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and game four is at 1 o'clock on Monday over the holiday. Sellout crowd. People are going nuts. We're in our last timeout. There are three seconds on the clock, and the game is tied. Truck Robinson is shooting two. So our huddle's here. Philadelphia's huddle's down here. Here's Woody Allen with two kids sitting on his lap. Maria Farrell. Place is loaded with stars and everything. Now, we're in the huddle. We're talking. This is what we're going to do. Truck's going to make two. We're going to do this. With that. So help me God, this is incredible. Say this is the sideline. In the fourth row up, right at center court, that's the garment district. Had all those seats. A guy stands up. He's got on glasses, white hair, perfect, yellow shirt, brownish tie, brown suit. He yells out, Yobi! Yobi! Do something! Do something! Garden got quiet. I look and I said, I already did! 
He's shooting two. I know, but the sprint is one and a half, and he's going to miss. Well, the garden, George, the, only in the garden, okay? The people are laughing their ass off, okay? Truck goes to the line, misses the first one, short. The second one, he misses. Moses gets the rebound in the air. He turns. Now, there's no three-point line now because it's 83. The kid Richardson, Franklin Richardson. Yeah. Moses hits a rope, George, out. He catches it at the 28-foot marker. He takes one bounce, shoots it. The horn goes off. Everybody's like this. The ball goes boom, boom, in the basket off the board, and we lose. Mm. We lose by two. Now, you say, why did I tell you that? Because half the crowd bets every game in the garden. Yeah. And you hear the spread, George, every single night. I'm sitting there at the end of the one season because now Webster, Truck Robinson don't come back. Cartwright doesn't come back. And then Bernard King blows out his knee with 20 games left in Kansas City, chasing down Reggie Theus for an ACL. You could hear it. it was like a gunshot. We were still going to make the playoffs without those guys. Well, now without Bernard, we're not going to make it. He's leading the league in scoring, the whole routine. <clears throat> um, the last game of the year, we're playing Detroit, and I'm sitting there on the bench. We got seven guys, five guards and two forwards, and we had to suit up another guy to have eight guys. So I'm sitting there, and I get a tap on the shoulder. And I turn around, and it's uh, Peter Boyle, the great character actor. And then also uh, uh, the young kid, uh, oh, God. His father went to school with me and was uh, Hutt, Jim Hutton. Right. Now, the young Hutton, who's on television right now with that famous series and everything, is standing there. Now, these two guys would come to all the games that we played in Boston and Philadelphia because they love basketball. <clears throat> they tapped me on the show. They said, listen, the people back here would like to thank you. And I, I stand up. I turn. I go, I go, what are you talking about? Thank me. Well, the whole section stands up. They're all flying. I said, what? What are, you, what are you doing? So Peter goes, Peter goes, Hubie, don't you know? He says, you just led the league for the second year in a row in covering the spread. George, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, only, George, only New York. I don't care what building. You don't hear that kind of stuff, yeah. okay? And you know, when my seven, they're booing this. Why? Because the spread was nine. I mean, you, you know what I mean? It's stuff like that. That crap has never gone away from the guard, all right? You know, Lefty tell, told me the story when he was coaching at Davidson, and they, they're they playing a game in Madison Square Garden, and, they, and they're up uh, two, and, and it's about 30 seconds to go. So he, he starts to, to freeze the ball, 
and and uh, and and so the lady comes down out of the stands and starts beating him over the head with a purse. And she said, "Lefty, let that boy shoot that ball. Let that boy shoot the ball. Ball will spread his string." <laughs> and she beat him over the head with a purse. So yeah. I, I, know, I know what you're saying. You the the, the 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 one interesting and intriguing part of your pro coaching career. You're out. You're happy, you're broadcasting, you're winning awards. Everybody says you're the absolute best analyst on TV. And at 69 years old, someone comes and says, hey, you want to try it one more time? So Jerry West comes and he asks you to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. Why did you want to make uh, take one more last shot at it? It all, it all came down because at the end of the previous season, they got new management at Turner, mm -hmm. and they came in, and they were going to go to Thursday night doubleheaders, mm -hmm. and they were going to move in Marv Albert, and Marv Albert said he mm -hmm. wanted Mike Fratello to be his assistant, mm -hmm. uh, be his uh, analyst, and then Doug Collins was there, because Doug and I were together, and they brought in Kevin Harlan, and they reduced... Dick Stockton and myself, Dick to just the playoffs, and then to myself as I had to be on that Thursday night show, which was just starting. Yes, yes. Okay, the Thursday night show with Barkley and those guys. And then I would do games, uh, limited games during the year, and then the playoffs. Now, that was extremely difficult to swallow if you're Dick Stockton, who's been doing mm -hmm. the league for 20-some-odd years, mm -hmm. CBS and Turner, and then myself, because I just won the Kirk Gowdy Award, you know, for supposedly excellence as an analyst, but that was their two teams that they were going to. <clears throat> now, ego-wise, it, it, it hurt, okay? But I'm still there. So... <clears throat> I, I talked to my family and I said, look, I'm a game guy. I'm not a studio guy. I'm not a studio guy. I said, I, I'm going to call Popovich at San Antonio. I'm going to ask him because he always has a lot of different guys doing their game if I could do some games. So I called Pop and I said, Pop, look, here's what happened. I tell him this story. And I said, on Thursday nights, I have to be in Atlanta for that show. I said, and then the playoffs, naturally, I would be doing playoffs for Turner. <clears throat> I said, but I would like to be an analyst. So Pop goes, unbelievable, That's because that, you know him. He's <laughs> one of the greatest guys of all time. Mm -hmm. Pop goes, well, how many games you want to do? I said, Pop, no, I, look, I, you, you got two guys that do most of the games. Do you have any extra? Yubi, how many games do you want to do? I says, Pop, come on, you can't just say. He goes, all right, how about doing 41 games? So help me God. And he said, we'll pay you X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. I said, Pop, I, that's incredible. He goes, yeah. He says, now here's the guy you called. You got a pencil? Yeah. He goes, here's the TV guy, so forth and so on. I'm going to do 41 San Antonio games. Mm -hmm. 
I do three San Antonio games. I do three Thursday night games. And I get the phone call. I get the phone call. And it's, uh, listen, it's Jerry West. If we, uh, if we make a move here in Memphis, would you be available? I said, for what? And he says, to be the coach. And I said, the coach? He says, yeah, I'd like you to think about it. If we made a move, would you be? I said, well, I followed a team because my son, as you know, is your advanced scout. So I follow all the games because I'm on top of what you're doing. I watch you in the exhibition and I watch you over with direct TV. So I said, I've been watching everything. So what is on? So he said, well, we might do something because we don't like how things are going right now. So I go and I talk to Claire and she saw, well, she went, how much money do you think they'd pay? I said, because, you know, back when we coached, we didn't make any money. Uh, so I'll be damned, George. When the call came, I had already talked to Hal Whistle shooting. And I said, Tony Brony, who was there as a scout, would come and be a teacher, five-star teacher. And I said, my son would run all the charts and everything. I'd take him off the road. And he calls. And he said, we're going to do this, so forth and so on, if you'll agree to this. And I said, well, I want to bring in a shooting coach because you need a shooting coach. And then I said, I want to bring Tony out of the office as the head overall scout to be on a guard. And I said, I'd like to move my son in to do the charts because all the charting that we do is complicated. And uh, so I said, those three guys, I want to. He said, well, then what about? And then he says, okay, well, we'd keep Lionel Hollins and then Johnny Workout, Johnny Walsh, the workout. He says, uh, okay. He said, I'm going to call you back at 2 o'clock. He said, you decide what you're going to do. And then he says, and then if you you want to talk about it? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it. He says, okay, and we'll talk money. I go mm-hmm. in the kitchen. I tell Claire. Claire says, well, what do you think he likes? I don't I, I gave a number. Well, he doubled that number. So when we came back, He offered an incredible contract, three-year contract, and then unbelievable bonuses for the first year if you won 30 games, because they were already 0-8. In the second year, uh, if you made the playoffs, and then the third year. Never thinking that that would happen. The most Mm. they ever won was 23 games in seven years. (laughs) Okay, in seven years. So, well, as you know what happened, I call, I call Hal. I called my son who was scouting in Chicago. He flew in. Hal had his bags back. He knew in case the call. So boom, he shoots out. I go down. We go in. We go to this clothing store. This is the only really good clothing store there. Yeah, in the hotel. We buy all the clothes, okay? So that don't worry about clothes. I buy the clothes, fit the bill. And we lived in that uh, the Peabody Hotel with the Ducks. All right, for a month. And uh, we had a double session on that. On the next two days, we had two double sessions and we played Minnesota at home on that Friday night. And lo and behold, as you know, we won 28. But the thing that I was the most proud of 
was that from the All-Star game to the end of the year, we never got beat by more than eight. Mm -hmm. So you knew we were coming. Mm -hmm. And then the next year, you know, we won 50 games and we were in the playoffs. And we had the six First best time in the history of the franchise. Oh, yeah. Well, it was, uh, we were the sixth best record in the league. And uh, because we had a camp, you know, we had a camp mm -hmm. and we picked up two more guys, you know, and uh, that, that was good. But uh, it was an experience. It was an incredible experience working with Jerry because a lot of people didn't know this. For a guy who is one of the incredible golfers of all time, he would be in his office every morning at 8 a.m. and never leave before quarter to five, like clockwork. Mm -hmm. In there, working a job, people calling, him helping other people, newspaper people calling. All afternoon, he would be working deals. I'd never been around anybody that was ever had that kind of communication from the entire league. Possible trades. What do you think of us trading with team A or B? And this is what they're getting suggestions. It, I tell you, it was really an eye opener about the respect that he had throughout the league. So 